My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On today's episode of Just a Mom, I am talking to Denise. Hi, Denise. Hi, Susie. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule, as well as just being willing to do a deep dive into what your journey as a parent has been like. So if you wouldn't mind just starting off by telling me a little bit about your family. Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. So my husband and I were college sweethearts. Mm -hmm. We've been married now for about 31 years. We have two boys. They're four years apart. Both of us grew up in pretty traditional families, and I guess we've raised our children that way. When they were young, I was fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom, and husband was the breadwinner, and we've just stayed pretty close-knit with um, our family and, and our siblings and feel like the boys have had a pretty tight relationship with each other and their you know, close family as well. Mm, very good. So how did your journey as a parent with a child with mental health issues start? Well, I'll preface this by saying that we recognized early on that our child was very intelligent from an early, early age. For example, he started reading when he was three, and by the time he was four, he could draw all of the planets. Wow. Yeah, with all the details, mm. label them with the correct spelling, could even do it backwards. Wow. <laughs> and if there was something that he was interested in, he would just have this laser focus on that subject and want to learn more. We went through several phases of this. I mean, everything from flags of the world mm. to body parts to memorizing every single Pokemon and mm -hmm. how they evolved. He would just want to talk about whatever that topic was and for days on end, just kind of obsessed truly mm -hmm. about it. And each time it would become an obsession like that, but we didn't really recognize it as something more, which, you know, looking back, we probably should have noticed that there was something going on. But honestly, we were just so impressed by his intelligence <laughs> sure, and aptitude to learn that we really just, I guess, didn't even think twice about it. Mm. But then when he was eight, so this was in the summer of 2002, he saw a children's movie. And I mean, it, it's called Clock Stoppers. It's a movie about people being frozen in time. And it set something off in him that caused his mind to obsess and focus on something that was a lot deeper and darker that he had in the past. And the questions that came up was, what happens when we die? Hmm. Does time stand still in heaven? Is there really a heaven? At the end of the at the end of time, is there just nothing? So there were these gigantic, poignant questions that <laughs> obviously we can't answer. And he was completely consumed by those thoughts and really having a difficult time concentrating on anything else. I wow. Mean, yeah. And he was eight years and old. And he was eight. And he was eight. And little did we know, you know, at that time, it was an existential crisis is really what he was having. 
Um, but I tried to find some help for him at that time because I could see he wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. His behavior was not normal. I called our pediatrician's office to try to schedule an appointment. You know, it was like, well, you know, we've got something available in two weeks. Mm. You know, just I did not know where to turn. And it was summer, so we didn't have the resources available to us like we would if it was during the school year with school counselors and teachers. So in that moment of crisis, and it was so, so scary, we did find um, a priest that would talk to him. And so that helped a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and eventually, eventually it kind of just went away and we just kind of let it go. And I guess we thought things were going to be okay. And just over time, you know, hoping that things would get better. But occasionally he would bring them up and we would talk through it. And um, I think as he got older, some of those questions just became even deeper and more troublesome for him. So the same line of questioning? The same line of questioning. The same line of questioning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, and, you know, he went to Catholic grade school, went to Catholic high school, you know, we're a pretty religious family, but it just, that wasn't enough. His faith wasn't enough. Um, He just had these burning questions. If I fast forward to January of 2017, so this time he was 22 and he was in graduate school at KU. It was a holiday break time for both he and his brother. And so we went to visit my husband's parents in California. And while we were there, we went to church, which is something, of course, we would normally do. And the sermon at church happened to be the same kind of line of questions. What happens when we die? Why do we have faith that there's a heaven? And all of those topics just triggered that same line of thought that he had from when he was eight years old. I mean, 14 Mm. years before. So we could see for the rest of that trip and in the days following that his mind had traveled back to that Mm. deep, dark place. And he wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't thinking about anything else. He was scared to be alone. Mm. Um, He had uncontrollable fits of like, you know, bawling and weeping. And his behavior was so out of character. Um, It was obviously a mental breakdown that he was having. And again, we were faced with we want to do something, Mm -hmm. but we're not sure. So needing to do something fast, unsure of where to turn, um, things came to a head on a Sunday night. And we agreed that we needed to find psychiatric help, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So that next morning, um, I took him to the psychiatric emergency room at Shawnee Mission Health, which is now Advent Health. Mm-hmm. Somehow, by the grace of God, I was able to find that they did have a psychiatric ER, mm-hmm. you know, not something that I would have known before. Sure. Um, and after a very short evaluation, they were able to check him in with a diagnosis of acute depression and anxiety. Mm. Um, they assured us that he would have immediate access to psychiatric help and that the meds he desperately needed to break the cycle of what we now know are called ruminating thoughts which is a very common symptom for those that have anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. He, he stayed in the hospital about four days, um, met with our mental health professionals daily, doing journali- journaling, doing yoga, talking with other patients that are battling the same issues, um, 
and really focused on getting better. And mm-hmm. it was exactly what he needed at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to this day, I'm just so grateful for the care mm-hmm. and compassion that they were able to offer mm-hmm. to him. So that's kind of the synopsis of, sure. of how, how this all came Started. up. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, wide time frame from 8 to 22. And you said that there were glimpses of that, obviously, throughout different points of his life. How did that affect not just, you know, his mental health, but did he have friends? Was he involved in activities? Was he able to continue with his, you know, normal everyday life? Yeah, fairly normal. Okay. Fairly normal. Just every now and then we would have a setback and we would have to revisit those questions and maybe talk back a little bit about remember what, you know, Mm -hmm. the priest at the time mentioned, you know, I had some books for him, you know, let's go back and revisit some of that. But it was just what we were giving him at home for support, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. That was the only um, type um, of treatment, I guess, that he was Mm -hmm. getting at the time. And that seemed like it was working. Yeah, it was working. It managed it. It managed it. Mm -hmm. So was he ever, during that time from 8 to 22, was he ever suicidal? That you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. It never quite got to that point. Okay. It never quite got to that point. I think when he had the breakdown at 22, yes, Mm -hmm. at that point in time, but really during those childhood years from eight until that point, I, not that I knew about it. Okay. So at, at 22, when he did have this, this massive mental health crisis, is that, that what, what sought you, or is, excuse me, is that what prompted you to seek help was his suicidal well, just that he wasn't able to, or? to eat, mm-hmm. to sleep, to be alone, to function. You know, he was a 22-year-old MBA student mm-hmm. at KU who had just been, you know, thriving and doing great, going out with his friends. And then it just, mm-hmm. you know, took this 90-degree turn to... I can't leave the house. I'm crying. Mm-hmm. I can't eat. I think he lost probably 10 pounds in wow. the course of, you know, that that week when things got really bad. And we could just see, you know, mm-hmm. he's not getting any better. Mm-hmm. This is not going to improve. We need to find help right away. And that was different than the previous times. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. That that point in time, it was like, OK, something is really going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And. Did they put him on medication at the hospital? They did. Okay. They did. They did. One of the best things was that by admitting him that he was able to get that immediate psychiatric help, mm-hmm. the medication for it, um, and then have the therapist there observing him 24-7 and mm-hmm. really talking through it. And it was amazing. It was amazing the progress mm. that he made in that short amount of time. And he was obviously a willing participant because he was 22. He was a willing. He was definitely a willing participant. He knew he needed help. Mm. He knew he didn't He didn't feel well. Mm. He knew that. And he wanted his, to get better. Yeah, that he wanted to get better. Mm. And that his, his mind was going places that he couldn't control. Mm-hmm. And that he needed to take control of that. You did say he improved immensely in the time, the four days that he was there. Once he was discharged from 
the hospital. Tell right. me what happened after that. Sure. Well, it was kind of scary because this was right at the end of holiday break. And so he had to go back to school. Mm. So mm. we let him go back to school. Fortunately, he had a very, very understanding, great roommate um, who gave him the love and support mm. that he needed, you know, and of course we checked on him very frequently. Mm, I went and spent sure. the night with him a few, you know, the first few nights mm-hmm. and um, just to make sure that things were going okay. Mm. So I think that having having that network of friends that he did, um, the roommate and then a few others, and he was able to share a story okay. and to let them know what was going on. So they were keeping an eye on him you know, as, as we were. Which is amazing that he felt comfortable sharing his story because a, a lot of young people really don't. Right. So right. to have that built-in support network. Exactly. Exactly. And I felt that after he was discharged from the hospital, he said, you know, the stigma with mental illness, we've, we've got to break the stigma mm. of mental illness. And I want to try to help people as much as I can and, and share my story. That's great. Yeah. Wow. So he's back at school. Uh, is he seeing a therapist at this point? Is he doing any continuing, you know? Right, right. Work? So, right, exactly. So, you know, it's been five years ago, which is mm. kind of hard to believe. But but since that time, he meets with a psychiatrist once a week. Oh, excuse me, once a month, once mm-hmm. a month. And then he has a talk therapist that he has a standing appointment with okay. once a week. He knows, you know, Thursday, 3.30, mm-hmm. he's talking to his talk therapist. For the last five for years. For the last five years. Okay. And he's on medication. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been all great since then? It's, you know, we've had a few setbacks. We've had, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, that was a no. <laughs> <laughs> Of yeah. course. There's mm. always a few setbacks. You know, my father-in-law passed away, and that was a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very close to him. And, you know, I really was nervous about some of those feelings resurfacing, but he, he made it through. Um, and there have been, you know, maybe a handful of other times that I think he's regressed a little bit into these um, existential, you know, thoughts. But but for the most part, he's done. he's been doing pretty well. That is very encouraging to yeah. hear. What was for you as a parent watching this all unfold? What was the hardest part for you? Well, I think the hardest part for me, truthfully, was just not knowing where to turn. I mm. mean, it was just that I felt lack of resources, especially back in the early days when this started, you know, appearing in 2002. I We just really didn't have the knowledge. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the internet as we do today mm-hmm. to do the research. You know, school was closed. I didn't know who to call, you know, the doctor's office, you know, not available for a couple of weeks. And it's just where to turn. So I think one of the hardest things really was how to get the help and and who to open up to and who to talk to to find it. Mm. Do you think if it had happened, you know, the first eight-year-old crisis had happened during the school year, would that have played out any differently, do you think, in terms of accessing Yeah, help? that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like at least I would have been able to maybe have him talk to a school counselor. Maybe we could have identified that there was a problem. 
sooner. You know, I feel like there were some warning signs there that maybe we ignored and, and they may have picked up on that. This would have been about 20 years ago. He's oh, 27 yeah. now, then he was eight then. And I right. think back 20 years and how we weren't really still as a society talking about we weren't, it. We weren't. No, I know. It's been, you know, fortunately, we've made great strides in this. But at that time, it just really, you know, it was just kind of a different world for mental illness, I think. You Absolutely. know, it's one of those things, if you fall and you break your arm or you have a bad stomach ache, you go to the doctor, you go get help. But if you have an illness in your mind, it's invisible. And what do you do? Mm. You know, who can you find to help you? I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm doing this is to keep working to break down that stigma. And right. especially for parents, I feel like people in our generation, we're, there's still stigma. Oh, yeah. We don't want to talk about no, it with each other. No, and we don't. We don't. And I think it's just so important to bring it out into the open. I mean, that's the only way I think that's going to break this cycle. I agree. How did you cope with the stress of of this whole situation and all those years, all these years of it? Well, you know that saying that you're only as happy as your least happy <laughs> child. So true. <laughs> and that's exactly how I felt, you know? I mean, just the, the depths of despair. You know, there's no stronger love than a mother has for their child, I think. And so, yeah, you have to you have to find ways to cope with it. So I did what I could. Um, I prayed and meditated a lot. I mean, a whole lot, lots Mm -hmm. and lots and lots of praying. Um, You know, I did a lot of talking with my husband and Mm -hmm. um, and our older son, obviously, in the later years as he was older. He's been a great support Um, system as well and my parents and then I have a couple of close friends that I was able to talk to Um, you know I think just trying to keep a normal routine of the things that we've done as a family Mm -hmm. um, is important just to stay grounded Mm -hmm. those -hmm. are some of the most important things you know I like to work out you know Mm -hmm. do yoga just kind of some of those just things that are part of the daily routine to keep my mind off of Mm. this at all times. What would you say the lowest point of this journey has been for you? Um, Well, definitely it was when I checked him into the ER Mm. in 2017. It was very, very scary. Mm. You know, we felt, I was petrified. And it was just of the unknown, Mm -hmm. you know. What are his thoughts right now? Mm-hmm. What is the outcome going to look like for us? What's the future going to look like for him? Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't sure. It was just mm. very, very terrifying. I guess that probably answers my next question, which is what was the hardest part of your, what has been the hardest part of your child's struggle for you? Mm-hmm. I would guess. Yeah. But I'll ask you that anyway. Oh, sure, sure. Again, and I think it's just that, you know, trying to find the resources. Mm-hmm. And and then trying to help him find those tools that will work for him, you know, for the long run to, you know, keep him on the right path. You mentioned that this obviously hasn't been a perfectly linear progression no. in terms of 
no how he's how he's done and i would love to ask you what when he starts going to the dark places again or the mm-hmm. dark places again does he call you how do you know are you just do you see signs of it he's pretty good about calling us or mm. telling us yeah i mean he's pretty good about you know Mom or dad, you know, I'm having these thoughts again. Mm-hmm. And we know what that means, mm-hmm. you know, when when they're rearing their ugly head once again. We know that it's a sign that we need to seek help. Mm-hmm. And when you say seek help, do you call his therapist and say, okay, he's struggling again. Yeah. Can we ramp it up a little bit? What, right, what does right, that look right. like? Well, I encourage him to, you know, sure, with the age. He's an it adult. Difficult. So, so mm-hmm. yeah. So I think he's also learned that it's so important for him to stay ahead of it. And if maybe those thoughts are coming back before it goes into that, you know, downward spiral, he needs to, he needs to immediately mm-hmm. <laughs> call and talk to a psychiatrist, you know, can I change my medication? Can I, you know, maybe get mm-hmm. a quick appointment with my talk therapist, whatever it mm-hmm. might be that he feels he needs. And he's done a pretty, I think, a pretty good job of um, knowing what it is he needs at Mm -hmm. that time. Because I think it's, you know, it's certainly not a one size fits all for (laughs) any kind of treatment, Mm -hmm. nor is it one size fits all for one person, Mm -hmm. because it just, you know, from day to day, you might need something different. So he's learned to recognize the signs and, Mm -hmm. and, and kind of know what to do, I think, to control those thoughts. Which is incredible and probably helps keep the the spiral down um, from going as fast or as right um, right badly as it could as go. it could as it could mm-hmm. has he had any more uh, hospital stays since the one five years ago thankfully no okay and he's changed medicines oh yes multiple yes, times he's been on different kinds of medication mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well one thing that I've I've heard different um, experts say is that with the medication, it's not like we can do a blood test no, or a strep throat swab no. and say, oh, yep, this is what you have. And this is the pill that we know will kill that infection. Exactly. It's, so once again, it's just kind of trying some different things mm-hmm. to see what's effective. Which can be really frustrating yes. and hard yes. to wait through. It sure is. It sure is. And some of them don't take effect. Mm-hmm. You know, the antidepressants, it takes, you know, my understanding is sometimes a month or so before you really see the effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard month. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that. What are what are those times like for you? Just more worry and stress, mm-hmm. you know, worry and stress and checking on him and mm-hmm. texting him frequently mm-hmm. and how are you doing? How are things going? You know, mm-hmm. are you able to work? You know, are you able to stay focused? Mm-hmm. And have there been times when he's had to take off of work or school because he just he couldn't do it? There was one time last year yeah, okay. that he ended up taking off a few days. There were th- some other things that were going on, too, in his life. But, yeah, he's had to a couple of times just a mental health break. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally needed a mental health break. And his work has been supportive and understanding. His, yeah, of that. his work has been fabulous. Yes, uh-huh, and understanding, hear. and yeah. And they're aware of 
some of his mental health issues. Yes. And, yes. Which I is think great. So yeah. Mm-hmm, that he shared that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's a, fortunately, a pretty progressive company mm. mm-hmm. to be understanding like that. How did COVID affect your son and his mental health? Yeah, well, I got to tell you, I was really worried about it because he was working remotely and living by himself, not close to us. Mm. Um, so just that constant fear of the isolation, you know, that's how it affected me. Now, mm-hmm. for him, I think the same thing. He he couldn't wait until a vaccine was available so mm. he could get back out amongst friends and and be around people. Um, mm. Because I think he knows that being alone like that is a trigger for those deep, dark thoughts mm-hmm. to resurface. And the isolation is just not good. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah Will's terrible. the same way. Like, he knows isolation is, is right. a huge trigger yes. for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Same, yeah, same. Wow. So how did he cope with that when he was working at home and not able to do a lot with we, friends. Yeah, he he came to our house quite mm-hmm. a bit for the first two months of the quarantine. He came mm-hmm. and lived with us. Good. You know, I kind of demanded that. And then, then he kind of found a bubble of friends mm-hmm. that, you know, they all were together. And so they figured, you know, <laughs> if they mm-hmm. were all testing negative, they were okay to mm-hmm. hang out. Yes. Um, so he, I think, kept the relationship with those friends um, and tried to spend time with them as much as he could and, and with us. Mm, good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, not easy. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not easy for anybody. Not easy for anybody. Mm-hmm. But particularly someone with a history of mental illness. Exactly. Exactly. And then during that time, he ended up in the hospital for a unrelated mm. <laughs> issue with his heart. Oh, wow. And, and then a week after that, his beloved dog died and so Mm. that was that was kind of a dark time Mm -hmm. during covid and you know we had a little bit of a setback then um Mm -hmm. and basically we just made sure that he was surrounded by somebody during that time you know Mm -hmm. home with us Mm -hmm. or had friends staying with him Mm -hmm. yeah do you ever picture a time when you're not going to worry about him oh no Mm. oh no Till the day I die. Mm-hmm. No, there'll never be a day. Mm. Yeah, no. I, I think about it every day. Mm. It's life changing, I think, when you have a child with mental illness of any type because of just the constant worry. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And just, you know, I wonder, you know, on any random day, is he just going to revert back to that deep, dark time of isolation and fear and you know back to that episode that we had in 2017 Mm -hmm. so yeah there'll there'll never be a day that I don't worry me too Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah how would you say that this whole struggle has affected your marriage over the last almost 20 years yeah well you know I mean it could be a real test to relationship Mm -hmm. because you know if you're not on the same page um, I'd like to think we had a strong marriage before, and I would say it's even much stronger. Mm. I mean, having navigated, you know, this journey mm-hmm. with the family um, and and then just have s- stuck to our our gut instinct and our love for him and 
I think that that's made us grow stronger as a couple. Mm. Which is great because that's not always the case. Right, right. Again, I think it's if you're on the same page or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was maybe in the early stages a little easier for me to be because I'm the mom, right? Mm. No, we need to do something now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My husband, oh, he'll get through it. He'll be mm-hmm. fine. But, you know, when he could really see how much he was hurting, mm-hmm. he agreed. You mm-hmm. know, anything that we need to do for him, you know, mm. we'll, we'll figure it out. Mm. Which is great. Yeah. If you could go back and change anything over the last 20 years of this journey, what would you? Is there anything that you would or oh, that you'd do differently? Yeah. I mean, I wish that I would have recognized the warning signs sooner. Mm. You know, I wish that I would have been more proactive in getting him help, you know, all those years ago when he was a child, because I know he was struggling with it then. And we just really didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we just didn't see those warning signs mm-hmm. as anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. We just thought it's a phase. Mm-hmm. He'll get through it, mm-hmm. you know. So just being able to recognize that earlier, I wish I could have done that, mm-hmm. you know, and just have been the squeaky wheel until I would have been able to hopefully get the appropriate help for him at that time. Mm. Well, the good news is, is he did get the appropriate help. Right. And... He's doing well right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, it took a lot of years um, before he got exactly what he needed. And I don't know if it's, you know, it's never going to be finished. Mm-hmm. But at least now he has a plan mm-hmm. um, that's working for maintenance and, mm-hmm. and prevention for some of, the, some of these things to reoccur. So tell me a little bit about his life now without, you know, revealing too much, but just. Oh, like, sure. You know, oh, sure. Just well, so people can listen and, and absolutely. Get, have some hope. Absolutely. Well, I am definitely happy to say that he is doing really, really well. Mm. And since getting the help that he needed in 2017, he finished his MBA top wow. of his class. That's amazing. Been working as a data analyst manager, the same company now for the past four years. Mm. Um, It's a a nice company and they they take good care of him. Um, He lives independently, has an amazing Mm. girlfriend, Mm. um, and he still has the same close knit group of friends who've been so supportive and caring through this time. So that's really, yeah, we couldn't be more proud of him. Ah, Yes. And he's talks to his friends. He talks to his girlfriend. He talks to you guys. He's got a good... Yeah, base of support. He does have a great network of support. Well, that's got to make yeah. you sleep a little well, bit it easier. It does help. It does mm-hmm. help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give parents who have young children now? Things that you wish someone would have told you? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost is to just, to just get that medical attention right away. Mm. I mean, I wish that was something that I would have been able to do for him back then. Because there are resources out mm-hmm. there. You know, there are medical professionals who know how to help and they want to help. Mm-hmm. So I would say being an advocate, you know, do what you need to do and make it a priority and don't mm. just let it go. So that's something that I've learned. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is to talk about it mm. because you are not alone. Mm-hmm. There are so many of us that struggle with this mm. and we're just never going to break the stigma if we don't start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I would just say, you know, it's obviously definitely not easy, but you have to keep the faith 
and keep the hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, with your love Mm. and the medical professionals help and the support from everyone in your network, you know, they can learn to manage their illness, you know, for the time being and beyond. Mm. There are the tools and the resources there to help them. So definitely just, I think, just keep the faith. Mm. That's really good. Well, Denise, thank you again for being here and for sharing your story and the things that you've learned over almost 20 years and that you are not alone and there's hope. That's exactly right, Susie. That's the message. Yes. Thanks for having me today. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.